Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Our friends that are in the room, those of you that are joining us online, and those that will listen on the radio this week, it is a pleasure to be able to share God's Word with you today. And nine weeks ago, we kicked off this series called Made for More, where we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And one more time, let's read those few verses in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Talking about self-control. You know, a couple weeks ago, I got to preach about patience. And when I would ask people how they felt about patience, they'd, ugh. And so this week, I've been talking to people about self-control. And it's a very similar response. Self-control. God wants to produce all of the fruit of the Spirit in and through our life. One of the things this is it points us to who God is. It points us to his character. And these things help accomplish his desire. He wants all the lost to be found. He wants the bound to be set free, the broken to be healed, and the world to be reconciled unto him. It is interesting that the word control is the only fruit of the Spirit that is attached with the word Self, not just indicating a call from God to control our actions, but the intentions or desires behind those actions. A biblical definition for self-control, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. So it's not just about moderating the type of food that's on your plate, but the motivation or the things that's driving those decisions on what goes on your plate. It's not just about controlling the words that you say, but the depths of your heart and the pain that made you want to say those particular words in the first place. And here's the thing. When we start talking about life change and we start talking about behavior modification, we lean into that. But if you're like me, having struggled to control or modify consistent poor decisions or bad habits, you know that by just trying to do something different, it's not always enough. Sometimes it takes more than that. And we need to understand why we do the things that we do. And maybe we even need to find a new why if we really want things to change in our life. And maybe we need to get help. In a couple of minutes, we're going to discuss this more. But it's really hard to change your life, and even produce the fruit of the spirit of self-control without anybody helping you. And some changes in our life are actually impossible to achieve on our own, which brings us to our big idea for today. Self-control starts with surrender to Jesus. Self-control starts with surrender to Jesus. And there are practical things and steps And we're going to talk through a couple of those things today that we can implement. There are things that we can do to help us walk through life with more self-control. But real transformation starts and ends with the creator of all things. God loves you and he loves me and he takes us as we are. 
But as he's always trying to transform us to be more like Christ, he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He created us for more than just existing or getting by. And here's the thing. God is more invested in your life than you are. He's more invested in your life than anybody else is. Even before you were here, he was invested in your life. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we get off track, God's so beautiful with redemption stories to bring us back on track, to get us back to where he's trying to get us to because he's not finished with our story. He's not finished with bringing real life transformation into our lives. Self-control starts with surrender to Jesus. Experience this all the time with people that come to our church and they're trying to navigate faith or they're getting to know God. Some people walk in the doors of our church and have never encountered God. And sometimes they'll say, well, what do I need to do to fix my life? What do I need to do to climb out of this hole? And here's the thing about this. You can't do that by yourself. And programs and those kinds of things can be helpful, but the reality of it is, is Jesus is the one that we need to lean into the most. So we would encourage you to spend time in prayer, spend time in your word, spend time worshiping with other believers, get plugged in and connected with other people because all of those things bring you back to one thing, proximity with Jesus. And proximity to Jesus is the thing that brings the most change in our life. Self-control starts with surrender to Jesus. So where do we go from there? You know, Pastor Sean, he did a great job preaching a couple of weeks ago, and I figured I would rip him off. So today I'm going to give you three more Sean's to help you figure out. I'm just kidding. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the message two weeks ago. Anybody appreciate Pastor Sean? He always brings me great, great inspiration in my life. We're going to move on past that now. I can't do it as well as he does. Self-control starts with surrender to Jesus. Romans 15, 4 reminds us that whatever things were written before were written for our learning and that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And God's word leads us in some ways when it comes to this particular fruit of the spirit. Number one, self-control indicates what is happening on the inside of us. The way we respond to things, the way we react, and sometimes the way that we don't shows some things are going on inside of us that we may, may need to address. And Proverbs 25, 28 here speaks to this, how it actually makes us vulnerable. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, this makes it difficult to control what's developing inside of you in that way, and it's going to impact what happens on the outside. Luke 6, 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I didn't mean to say that, but the mouth speaks What's inside of you, what the heart is full of. Your fingers type what the heart is full of. The people do what our hearts are full of. That's why Proverbs 23, 23 reminds us, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from that place. Whatever is happening on the inside will eventually come out. And sometimes the things that we say or the things that we do because of undealt with issues inside of us, eventually they cause harm. 
And sometimes they cause harm to us, and sometimes they cause harm to other people. Self-control indicates what is happening on the inside of us. So if you've maybe said something you wish you didn't say, not that any of you would do that, or maybe you've done something that you wish you did not do, this may be a great opportunity to stop and to evaluate what is that thing, and maybe try to figure out why. And again, coming back to this place of being surrendered to Jesus, then you can take that thing and say, okay, I didn't realize this was why. God, I can't do this by myself. I need to trust you with this. I need to put it back into your hands. In the 90s, there was a movement that was started among Christian youth with this phrase, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And many people embraced it and some people mocked it, but it gave us these very interestingly fashioned bracelets that we wore around. But the truth is that question could still be applied to our life right now. And with every opportunity that we're given where we could act out of control, self-control could be applied. And Jesus is a beautiful model for this because he never did anything out of selfish ambition. He did everything he did to please his heavenly father and to draw us to him. So once we see that we're struggling with self-control in a specific area, we can stop, evaluate the root issue instead of just trying to treat the symptom. And maybe we can even ask, is this pleasing to the Lord? Was the way I responded to this person something that actually honored God? A lot of times we're so uh, mindful and careful about protecting how things impact us, but what about how those things that come out of us impact others? And is it pleasing to the Lord? If it's not, we can put it back in his hands. God, you take the lead with this because I'm not doing this very well. Because self-control starts with surrender to Jesus and self-control indicates what is happening on the inside. And maybe you've had a vehicle where this was the case, where your dashboard is lit up like a Christmas tree. And maybe at times like I have, you attempt to ignore those lights. I've been in some people's cars where there's a black backdrop and they have black electrical tape over the lights. That doesn't fix the problem. Right, It may make you ignore the light, but it doesn't fix the issue. And here's the thing about those indicators. And we have these indicators in us and the Holy Spirit working through us when we ignore the indicators that there is an issue. The problem is it costs us more than we anticipated. Preventative maintenance is cheaper, less painful, and less time-consuming than a major overhaul. And that's true for a vehicle, but it's true for our hearts. It's true for our lives. It's true for our souls. Number two, self-control flourishes with good friends. And I say good friends specifically because the truth is we can have a lot of friends, but that doesn't mean that they're all good or beneficial for our faith journey, for our relationship with our family, for us to do the things that God's called us to do. You know, as a follower of Jesus, we can go to Jesus for forgiveness. He paid the price for my sin and your sin on the cross. And I thank the Lord for that. But the truth is he invented relationship. And because of his plan for our life, we don't have to do life alone. We can find a better life that includes healing for some of those issues and even self-control through life-giving relationships. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I don't know about you, but there have been some times in my life where right before I was about to make a really stupid decision, something or someone stepped in and that moment had a conversation with me that kept me from making a mistake. And sometimes I needed that person to step into my life and they weren't there or I wasn't surrounded by the right people because I chose to hang out with not good people speaking into my life. And because of that, I missed opportunities or misstepped where God would have had me take a different course. You know, that's why Jesus, he sent his disciples out in twos. There's something to this thing about doing life with each other. It's why we work out harder with a trainer or a coach or a group or why we eat better when we're eating with people that are focused on their health like we are. It's why some people do better with a tutor, why sponsors or groups are helpful in a recovery journey because God didn't make us to do this life alone. You know, we talk about small groups in our church or jumping into serving in a ministry. It's not just because we wanna get something for you with that. We know the benefit of that. It's not just to have another program. It's not even our our idea. It's God's idea. The early church began in Acts chapter two by meeting together and breaking bread and serving alongside of each other. That was God's idea. Why? Because God knows that we need people speaking into our life and that we bring something to the table to speak into their life. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up. Woe to him who is alone when he falls. You don't just need someone there to cheer for you. Sometimes you need someone there to carry you. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. And sometimes you need someone there to challenge you. You know, self-control flourishes with good friends because good friends help you get better even when it's hard. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's not always easy. Iron sharpening iron is a biblical thing, but it is an abrasive thing. And it makes both sides better, but it's still abrasive, which makes it difficult. You have something to say to someone that's difficult to say, especially somebody that you love, or maybe you need to hear something like that. Some people would call that tough love. Well, the truth is it's not. It's just love. Because if I didn't love you, I wouldn't say. If I didn't care, I wouldn't step in to this. And I'm so thankful for good friends in my life that God has used brothers and sisters in the Lord in different seasons of my life to speak into my life, to cheer for me when I needed that, to carry me during hard seasons when I needed that, and to challenge me in ways that God would want them to, to point me back to Jesus. Proverbs 15, 23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. Thank you, Jesus, for timely words from good friends. Self-control indicates what is happening on the inside. It flourishes with good friends. And last but certainly not least, self-control improves with intentional steps of faith. And here's the thing about the steps of faith. They bring us back to the point of being surrendered to the Lord. We started this like that, right? 
Self-control starts with surrender to Jesus. Well, now we're saying we're going to take these steps of faith, and part of that is bringing us back to him. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word, God's word, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And without the light, we can't see very well. The path can be dark at times. But in context to when the psalmist wrote this verse, they didn't have headlights, Right? They didn't have high beams. They didn't have LEDs that would throw hundreds of feet. At best, they had a candle or a torch or an oil lamp that would only throw a few feet of light. And for the path to continue to be illuminated, you have to continue to take intentional steps. You know, I think that self-control improves with intentional steps of faith, partially because God gives us an opportunity to trust him when we step into the unknown. Because sometimes we don't take a step of faith because of the fear of failure. Well, here's the thing about the fear of failure. If the fear of failure will keep us from more things than the fear will. It'll keep us more messed up even longer than the fear will. But God leans into that. Intentional steps of faith Please the Lord. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek Him. There's a pastor, Pastor Greg Groeschel, wrote a book. The first couple of years I was in ministry, seventeen years ago when I first started, um, he it was called Confessions of a Pastor. I talked about all these things that he dealt with in an honest way, and he was trying to help people navigate these things. And kind of pull down the facade of pastors and that they got it all together. And if you, don't, if you think pastors got it all together, you just need to hang out with me and Gary more often. Because we'll, we'll show you that that's not true. Can't speak for the rest of our pastoral staff. They're perfect. But us, we don't have it all together. But in this book, there's one thing in particular. And at the time, I was a student pastor. And so um, it was an illustration that really helped me with the teenagers that I was working with. Middle school and high school students. But the truth is, it applies to all of our life. But he gave this thought about how to deal with our sexual desires and keeping our mind and our eyes and our body in a way that pleases the Lord. And the concept was called starve the sumo. And if you know anything about sumo wrestlers, they're two very large men typically that are wrestling and they're trying to get the other one outside of the circle. And the thing about the sumo wrestlers is that they are very heavy and very large, and part of that is that they are using their weight to their advantage. But it's not just the fact that they're heavy that's their advantage. They learn how to leverage their weight. And some of you may have played football like I did, but one of the things I learned being a lineman, I'm a big guy, I've been a big guy my whole life, but our coach would get on us because somebody smaller than us could knock us down if they got the leverage by getting lower. You had to learn how to use your weight to your advantage. Well, sumo wrestlers know how to do that very well. Well, when you look at a sumo wrestler, if you think that that sumo wrestler is that thing, whatever that issue is that you have with self-control, how do you win over something that's much bigger than you that always knocks you down? Well, it starts with the little things. Because this, this concept was started about sexuality, just processing that when it comes to sexuality, choosing to put a healthy boundary or stopping it when there's a sexual conversation happening with someone outside of your spouse or, or walking away when you're tempted by something you see, hear, watch, or click on. When it comes to substances that you struggle with or that are doing you harm that you struggle to have control over, whether it be food or alcohol or drugs 
Don't buy it. Don't go where it's at. Don't go to that place. Don't go have dinner there. Don't hang out with those people regularly. Whatever that thing is. Or when it comes to stuff that distracts you from things that really matter, like maybe something God's called you to do, and there's something that keeps getting in the way of that. Or making your family a priority, or that thing or situation or relationship that pulls you in the wrong direction if you starve the sumo and you fight for the little victories and sometimes you win that battle, that moment you walked away, that moment you stopped having that conversation, that moment you stopped answering that phone call. Eventually those little victories will start to be in your advantage. And as you starve the sumo, you can start to walk victoriously. First John 2, 16 through 17, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world and the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Jesus he showed us this perfectly in simple things that he said. When he said, you've been told to hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemy. When somebody hits you, you've been told to hit them back, and I tell you to turn the other cheek. Jesus speaks right into this. We have to process this when it comes to self-control. We can starve the sumo. Self-control indicates what's happening on the inside it, it flourishes with good friends and improves with intentional steps of faith. And the beauty of all of this is that when we start fighting for self-control, when we make a decision that we're not just going to be in defensive mode all the time, but we're actually going to be intentional about this, and we start surrendering these things to Jesus, it's amazing because he'll show you what's happening on the inside and what you need to change it. He'll lead you to life-giving relationships. He will meet you at the intersections where you need to take the steps of faith and he'll help you go through it and grow through it and help other people because he doesn't waste anything, even the really hard stuff in our life. This week I posted on Facebook and I asked, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear self-control? And there was quite a few answers. Some of you responded to that. Thank you for that. But over half of those answers, and I got a lot that were messaged to me privately and texted and, and passing with some folks, over half of those answers directly had to do with food. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but you hear that little grumble? Like, everybody kind of understands. A lot of us process, because it's something we need, right? And it's something that we're advertised to constantly. And honestly, in the States, we have this issue than a lot of other places just because of access, you know what I mean? Like, who would have thought at 3 a.m. to go get a hot dog while you're putting gas in your truck? Like, I mean, I'm not saying they're not good hot dogs. I'm just saying, you know, we just, those, we just have access to this stuff that other cultures don't the way that we do. Well, here's the thing. This is my struggle, too. And not, not just with food as much as I, I struggle with carbohydrates and specifically with sugar. And the thing is, it's done damage to my body. And the thing that I've come to is even though I have felt defeated so much in this particular area, you know, I have people every once in a while that ask, how come you post your sweaty face on Facebook? It's because it's accountability. Because if I don't post that I go to the gym for a week, somebody will say, hey, how have you been doing at the gym when they know I haven't posted about it? And so there's an accountability there. Like the reason why I'm posting about it, and I know other people struggle with it too. And so if they see my big tail doing it, maybe it'll encourage their tail to do it. I had to slow down there for a second. 
I don't have this thing completely figured out, but I haven't given up. And some of you may, in some areas of your life, maybe you've just given up and say, man, this is never gonna change. Well, let me tell you something about Jesus. He's not giving up on you. And that thing that feels impossible, he is the God of the impossible. Years ago in college, I took a speech class, and I may have shared this one time before, but I wanna share it again. And then we had to do a persuasive speech. And at the time, man, I was really on fire for Jesus. So I want to talk about the Lord. And there are certain things we weren't allowed to say. So I had to get very creative. And so I got to share the gospel with the chorus of an Eminem song. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. You might not know this, but I have Tourette's syndrome. And during that season of my life, that because of that, I had a tick. I would twitch a lot. And I would stutter horribly. And especially if I was in front of people. I couldn't say five words without stuttering. So I had to do this persuasive speech. And I gotta be honest with you, if I would have given myself a grade uh, that day, it would have been like a Z minus. Like, didn't think I did good. On top of that, I also got written, I got graded on the written paper. And uh, that was my first A plus, maybe my only A plus on the paper. I don't know. My first A plus on a speech and A plus on the paper in college, and those didn't come easily to me, not even in high school, I was a CD student, and uh, so I had, to, I had to work really hard. My brothers are both brilliant, and I just, didn't get, I just didn't get that comprehension thing the way that they did. But I remember that my teacher pulled me aside, and I was kind of blown away that I got an A plus on the paper, and I definitely couldn't wrap my head around the speech because I stuttered through it so badly. And she pulled me aside, and man, God used her to speak into my life in such a special way, and it wasn't a long conversation. But she said, God put you on the planet to write and speak hope into people's lives, and I hope you do it. And so I just started bawling like a baby. I'm really excited about the A-plus still, you know? And I didn't know that my teacher was a Christian, but I said, but what about my stuttering? She said, God will help you with that, and he has in incredible ways. And I said, but what about my grammar? She didn't even give God a chance. She said, no, it's really bad. Your grammar is really bad. <laughs> she said, but that's why they make editors. And the truth is, I've had the pleasure of working with some great editors on some projects. And the few that I've worked with, the thing is, is that I've had to learn how to trust them. Because God put something in me that they can't do, and he put something in them that I still haven't figured out. I don't know where commas go. And sentences are... Suggestions. It's not even, I mean, with, the, with, with periods, I don't know. I just, I can write a whole page and not stop. But I've had some good editors I've had to learn to trust, and I've had to learn to trust them with editorial control. Hebrews 12, 2 speaks of Jesus in this way, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only is he able to meet us and help us with this, he did this. He walked this out in obedience to God, self-control, but he's the author and the finisher of our faith, and he's the one that we need to look to, which brings us to our takeaway for today. We need to surrender and trust Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and self-control will be a byproduct of that. There are some areas in your life that you are trying to fix and you will never be able to do it. Not because it's impossible, but because you need Jesus to help you do it. 
And you've got to trust him long enough for him to help you get there. You can trust him with the inner parts of your heart and your mind indicators that are telling you you need maintenance. You need to trust him with the life-giving relationships and the accountability and encouragement that you need and also that you can give to others. And for the steps of faith that you need to take in step with the Spirit to produce all of the fruit of the Spirit. Because self-control, like all of the fruit, starts and ends with surrender. Let's pray. God, you are so good and you love us And you can do things that we can't. The one that raises people from the dead, the one that walks on water, the one that can bring dead men and women spiritually to life. And God, I once was blind, but now I see. And God, you know us and you know what we need better than we do. And God, I pray in Jesus' name, Under the sound of my voice, every person in this room, everyone watching online, everyone listening on the radio this week, God, that they would surrender those things to you. They would surrender those things to you, Lord God, that you can help them to deal with the inner stuff that's out of whack. That you would help them to see these are the relationships they need, Lord God, to bring life to them and that they can bring life to God, you can help us to take the steps of faith, but it comes back to this point, God, John 15, five, you are the vine, we are the branches. If we will remain in you, we will continue to bear fruit. Jesus, help us be surrendered to you so that self-control is not just something that we desire, but something that we produce. All for your glory, for others to know you even more. We thank you for it. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.